Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have the Executive Director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, and that would be Paul Meyer. And Paul is the sixth Executive Director of this league. The League of Municipalities actually represents the the, uh, cities across the state of North Carolina. It is their organization that uh, uh, advocates for them at the General Assembly and also works with the cities in giving them information and uh, research programs that uh, enable them to run their cities better. So, Paul, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. Um, And uh, welcome back to the program. Well, I guess uh, some of the big news, and we've been hearing about it for now for, oh, I don't know, a couple of months now, but it's finally taking real shape, and that's the infrastructure bill. And uh, this is going to provide um, the state and the municipalities and the counties uh, with uh, a lot of money that uh, we probably two years ago might not have thought we might had. So uh, tell us a little bit about how this uh, infrastructure bill is going to affect the cities uh, in North Carolina. Well, so obviously this hasn't fully passed yet. I mean, there's still a lot more, there's still more to go on this. Uh, but it's a $1.2 trillion national package. And uh, there's a number of buckets that, you know, different types of infrastructure are impacted in this thing. Uh, one of the most interesting parts of this, though, for us here in North Carolina is that there's money in there for broadband infrastructure nationally. And the question that we're going to have as cities is whether we can benefit from those uh, that bucket of money. Um, we have a state law that makes it almost impossible for city governments to spend money on broadband infrastructure. And if COVID has proven anything is that uh, everybody across North Carolina, whether you live in Raleigh, whether you live in Charlotte, whether you live in uh, Canada, North Carolina, Ahoski, uh, East, West, Central, everybody needs access to solid broadband coverage for the education of their children uh, and for the uh, overall economic development of the local community. And here we have money coming in an infrastructure package that potentially money coming in an infrastructure package that our cities may not be able to utilize. And that's, and that is a shame. Uh, There are other buckets though that the cities will be able to take advantage of. Let's go back to that for just a moment. Yeah. Is there any move up front to change the rule, the laws, so that uh, the cities can use that? Because the General yeah. Assembly is still in yeah. session. Yeah, the General Assembly is still in session, and this would have been uh, uh, the provisions that uh, prevent city governments from participating financially uh, with uh, in broadband infrastructure were all passed in 2011, 2013 timeframe. And uh, the General Assembly is in session now, and obviously they could do away with those restrictions. There is a there is a bill out there called the NC Fiber Act that would authorize cities to spend uh, money on putting uh, infrastructure in the ground, broadband infrastructure in the ground, uh, and leasing that infrastructure to a private ISP provider. Um, so the city would not actually be in the business of providing broadband, but instead just simply be buying down cost of capital. So there are bills out there that would help cities advance the ball on having 
uh, solid broadband within their communities. That bill has not passed, and uh, here we are getting later in the legislative session, so that one gets a harder lift. Well, do you feel like it will pass, or do you? What do you think the chances are? Uh, I would uh, right now. I would say it's going to be very, very hard because the telecoms, large telecommunication companies, continue to tell everybody that the NC Fiber Act is designed for city governments to actually serve as a broadband provider, which it does not. And until that, uh, until that fiction is is uh, is corrected. And that there's a universal understanding of what the bill actually does. Uh, it's going to be very hard to get our legislative, uh, our legislature to, to understand what's happening. So, I think we've got we've got a communication issue to work through on that topic. What are some of the other uh, benefits that uh, may you know? As you said, that the infrastructure bill hasn't passed, but it's 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 beginning to really take shape. So, uh, what are some of the other uh, things that may pass through to the cities that will have an impact on their uh, uh, infrastructure capital improvements for the next several years. Yeah, there's what there's uh, there's money in the package for water and sewer infrastructure, which city governments are intimately involved in. Uh, there's also money in there for transportation, uh, and obviously the state of North Carolina and city governments are interested in that. Uh, we have a very we have the uh, as city governments, we control, we own and operate about 15% of the road network in North Carolina. And uh, we have, um, we get some resources to the North Carolina uh, through the gas tax, uh, gasoline tax. But ultimately, it's uh, those tax dollars uh, can't keep up with the demand for building, rebuilding, and repaving roads. And so, there's money in this infrastructure bill that could make it to cities to help them do that, uh, which would be a great thing for our communities. Is this money going to be uh, spent on a per capita basis or are different cities going to get different amounts? And if so, what, what's it based on? How will they decide who gets what? I'm not 100% sure how that's going to be allocated. I think that um, it will not be direct. I do not believe it will be direct allocation the way that the American Rescue Plan dollars are, um, and a lot of this will probably pass through state government. So I think, uh, as always, we'll be out there fighting to make sure that our that our city governments are getting their fair share of whatever this would be. Um, but a lot more work to do on this topic still has to pass. That would be an important thing. So the, uh, of course, water and sewage. Uh, we've got two different things going on in. Uh, capital improvements in water and sewage, you've got a number of cities that are growing like uh, like uh, the, the van. I mean, they're just growing as fast as they can. So they're having to build new structure. And then the, you've got a number of cities, and especially some of those in eastern North Carolina that are actually shrieking in population, but their water and sewage system is aging and, uh, of course, uh, uh, has to be repaired. And, and yet the cities in those particular areas have less and less tax monies because uh, in many cases, as I said, they're actually shrinking in population. So, uh, yeah. how much, what what's the total? Will this make a big indention into the total needs, or are we still going to come up with some more? Well, it, we'll have to come up with some more. I mean, we um, a study from three or four years ago indicated that we had a twenty six billion dollars shortfall in in. Now that was, that, I believe, that was 
That's uh, twenty-six billion. That's B with a B. That would be with a B, and that's just that's just within North Carolina. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, certainly, any federal aid is helpful. It's uh, for which we are thankful. But you know, that's a big number, and I think your observation about communities that are that are struggling with their vision for the future and are losing population and are really kind of dying. What do you do when you have a community like that that has a, a wastewater system that has lots of deferred maintenance on it and nobody else, no other local governments in the, in the surrounding area want to pick that system up? Uh, what do you do? How do you fix that problem? You have a declining rate, rate, ba- uh, rate paying base. Um, unless there's an injection of state or federal money, it's almost impossible to take that system bring it up to speed or transition it to some other local government who can help you with that. And so uh, we're seeing regional conversations uh, across the state trying to figure out what to do. In fact, yesterday, our staff of the League of Municipalities was in Wayne County. We had a, we convened a meeting with the county commissioners in Wayne County and all the municipal officials in the various municipalities in Wayne County to talk about these very things, this very, this very topic how we could use the American Rescue Plan dollars uh, to help communities that are struggling to maintain their water and wastewater systems, keep them viable and keep them moving. There's a town called Eureka, North Carolina, that's had an ongoing problem with their system. And uh, they've received band-aids from the state legislature over many, many years. Um, But they're they're at a place now where they're trying to decide whether it's a viable ongoing concern. And, and so that solution to their problem, uh, you know, is a, becomes a community problem in Wayne County. And so um, as we have unprecedented amounts of dollars sitting in front of uh, local governments flowing out of the American Rescue Plan, we're really working hard with those communities to help them focus on how to make a long-term investment, something that they can look back 20 years from now and say, my gosh, if we hadn't done X, we wouldn't be in the position we're in today. So um, whether it's infrastructure funding, whether it's American Rescue Plan funding, we're really, really working with our membership to make transformational decisions um, and address those, those uh, infrastructure challenges that are pl- both plaguing them today, uh, but also, if solved, could propel those communities into the future. The transportation uh, legislation or the uh, items that are included in the infrastructure bill as it's being discussed for transportation, is most of that uh, uh, on streets and highways or does it include mass transportation and uh, uh, airports and things of that nature? So it, it's, it's all the above. Um, there are buckets for airports, public transit, uh, freight rail, roads, bridges, uh, other major projects. So it it touches all dimensions of transportation and in differing amounts. And of course, uh, when you start thinking about roads, bridges, and sort of other major projects, uh, the recipients are not just cities. You've got state DOT that are in that, <coughs> excuse me. And in many states, you have county governments who also would be involved in receiving those funds. In North Carolina, our system is much simpler. We have a North Carolina Department of Transportation that again is responsible, owns and operates 85% of the road mileage in our state. 
The remaining 15% are owned and operated by city governments. County governments have no fiscal responsibility over, uh, uh, over uh, transportation matters. And um, we're one of just a very small number of states where that's, where that's the situation. Of course, it's uh, anyone who lives in the city also lives in the county and also lives in the state. So every resident of the city will benefit, even if the money is not spent within the city, they'll still have a, a, a direct benefit either through uh, a project that's handled on the county level or the, the state level. So uh, this is this is going to be a lot of money coming into the state and uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, where, how we find the people to... <laughs> implement the plan because we're all out there looking for people to put back to work and there's for uh, help wanted signs almost everywhere you look. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's Paul Meyer. Time. He's the executive yeah. director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities and we'll be back with Paul and we'll uh, talk about uh, the COVID-19 situation and how it is uh, uh, rearing its ugly head again right now and how that's going to affect the cities. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Paul Meyer is our guest. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities, which represents, uh, I think it's, uh, what, 540 cities and towns and villages across the state of North Carolina? That's right. So uh, most of them are cities, as some are called towns, and we have a few that call themselves villages. So do you know how many villages we have in North Carolina? You know, I should know that answer. I do not know that answer. Uh, and coincidentally, uh, you could be a village of 200,000 people. It really just yeah, comes Chapel down Hill is, what you're I think Chapel Hill is a village. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's, what, it's what your charter says you are. And so it's, it has nothing to do with the size of, or complexity of your, of, your, of your municipal government that determines that, uh, that title. Well, Paul, if we were meeting about, a, I guess, six weeks ago, if we were having this program about six weeks ago, we would have been talking about COVID-19 in more or less of a past tense. We would be talking about how we 
are moving forward. And now all of a sudden, uh, we've got uh, cases right and left, and the, the situation uh, looks really bad again. Uh, how, what are your cities, uh, various cities, how are they approaching this, this new, uh, I don't know, new outbreak, I guess you might say? Yeah, I think our cities are really struggling uh, because what you said was what people thought. We thought that this was in the rearview mirror. And uh, and so if you think about municipal government, we're in public safety. We're in things that people rely on every single day. And if there is a business continuity problem in a local community, if a, if a fire, if every single firefighter in a firehouse comes down with COVID, it's going to be very, very difficult for that town to be able to respond to an emergency. And so, you know, we have city governments that have been encouraging uh, their employees to become vaccinated. And now, of course, uh, we have a lot of people who have gotten vaccinated, many who have not. And we have a variant that is highly contagious and jeopardizes the ability of cities to continue to provide those public services that everybody relies upon. And so um, I'm seeing a doubling down in these municipal governments about how they are managing their staff, how they're managing their employees. Um, because again, you can't have a, a breakdown in your emergency response capability. Imagine if we had a hurricane come through North Carolina right now uh, and imagine if we had a community where half of the law enforcement officers were sick and at home and unable to provide those necessary services. Um, this is a real thing. And so um, I think uh, I think we always had this problem with COVID. But every again, people thought it was over and now suddenly it's not. And people have been sort of caught by surprise. And uh, and so we're we're really pushing our communities to think long and hard about how they deal with this back home, uh, so that they can continue to protect their citizens at the highest level. Do the cities have the authority to require vaccinations, or is it still optional? Well, the employers have the ability. Uh, that this this there's there there is solid law that would allow an employer, and that includes the municipal government to require or mandate that their employees are vaccinated. Not many of them have mandated it. Many of them have gone the path of um, uh, requiring that you either be, be vaccinated, and if you are not vaccinated, then you have to show a negative COVID test on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Essentially what state government, uh, has the governor recently did with state employees. And, um, my guess is we'll see over time more and more employers moving the direction of either mandated vaccines or some sort of hybrid like we've talked about. And again, employers are looking at it from a business continuity standpoint. Uh, our city managers and city administrative staff are looking at it from maintaining important vital public services. Well, I, I guess, as I said six weeks ago, I, I think we would probably be uh, Looking ahead uh, with a much more positive attitude, uh, but uh, this this thing can, is certainly out of hand and and uh, is uh, a great concern because we certainly don't want to get back into the situation where we essentially shut down and became homebound and 
everyone was working out of home and we were having Zooms and all that sort of thing. Uh, we'd like not to get back to that, but uh, in one sense, it looks like may, we may be headed that way. Well, the hope is we will not get there. Uh, it's uh, this is a tough situation because uh, it's it's uh, it's not just whether you and I get vaccinated and uh, make smart decisions in our personal lives, but ultimately. Uh, there's a global element to this in that, uh, you know, these variants can develop anywhere in the world and spread across the, the globe. So um, uh, it's it's uh, it is a frustrating thing for all of us. I know that uh, we have city workers that are who have been responding to COVID now for a, a year and a half. And many of them are are tired. They're worn down by this. Uh, really no different than than uh, our health employees, our medical employees. And um, and so I'm 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 always thankful and appreciative of what's being done uh, within our within our public uh, sector uh, and our governmental support. So, but hopefully we'll see some relief. One of the hot issues for a lot of folks is the issue of annexation, and there are both proponents of annexation and opponents of annexation, um, and. Uh, one of the things that happens in the growth, of especially the fast and rapid growth of some of our towns and cities in North Carolina is a lot of the subdivisions end up outside the city limits, and yet they are wanting the services that the city can provide. Where do we stand on annexation and, uh, and what is the current law? So annexation is, uh, it's, there are, there are, just to help break it down for everybody, it, it, annexation literally is the city boundary growing uh, into uh, into urbanizing areas. That's what it is. And there are so it's the city boundaries getting larger. And uh, for many, many years, we had a public policy here that allowed city governments to expand their boundaries on their own, that the city could expand its boundary into into growing areas, into urbanizing areas. And a lot of people, as you might suspect, didn't like that. They didn't like the city could do that unilaterally. And so back in 2011, 2012, there was a push to eliminate what was called involuntary annexation and to take that power away from city government. And for the most part, those powers were taken away, leaving the city's ability to grow hinged on what's called voluntary annexation. That is that an existing property owner agree to being annexed by the city. Oftentimes that, that, uh, that property owner agrees to do so uh, in order to be eligible to receive the utilities of the city, water, wastewater utilities of the city. And so right now our cities are growing primarily through voluntary annexation or infill that takes place within the existing municipal boundary. Those changes in 2011 and 2012 were, were uh, highly damaging to the fiscal integrity, <coughs> excuse me, of our communities. Um, and uh, it's left us, um, it's left us vulnerable in, in many, many ways and put significant financial pressure on the existing uh, property base within the city. Well, the other thing that uh, we've had going on for some time is the matter of consolidation of services. Uh, for a long time, you would have uh, 
a great duplication of work being done by both municipalities and also the county. But in many cases, they've been able to consolidate those services into one organization that serves both the city and the county. How is that process ha uh, occurring and uh, would you call it success? I would say that it's successful in certain places and not successful in others. Um, we have some counties that have gotten involved in traditional municipal utility, the, the provision of municipal utilities, which complicates the living daylights out of the out of this system. Um, we do have some of that happening here, for example, in the Raleigh area. City of Raleigh owns and operates the water and wastewater systems for the vast majority of Wake County. They serve, I think, three quarters of the actual cities in Wake County. And um, by having a larger mass of a larger customer base, they're able to drive per capita costs way down. And that's that's been highly successful. Uh, we have some areas though where uh, we have multiple, multiple systems spread out and that increase the cost per per customer and uh, certainly eats away at efficiency. So, but financial and fiscal reality, I think, um, ends up reversing a lot of this and forces that uh, consolidation. Um, obviously, if we have an ailing water or wastewater system, those groups combining in with other with other larger systems is a direction that we should go. And this is why we've been pushing the state government to create. Uh, the viable utility reserve, uh, which they have done over the past couple of years to help provide state funding uh, to consolidate those type of services. There hasn't been enough state money uh, in that fund, uh, although I believe in the current budget there is a there's 500 million going into that. And our hope is that if that budget was to pass, that that money would, would be efficiently used across the state. Interesting. Uh, so uh, do you do you think there are other areas of consolidation that we have not yet explored that need to be explored? Um, I would say uh, we there's been some natural gas consolidation that's taken place in certain parts of the state. Uh, but I, I really think our primary focus on consolidation needs to be in our water and wastewater structures. That's where um, we have, you know, I mentioned a $26 billion need across the state earlier. Um, that number doesn't get any, that number doesn't get smaller. It only gets bigger and consolidation will help it stabilize. Uh, but of course, those deals require state money or some money to put those deals together. And so uh, until there's some sort of recognition that there's a state responsibility on that, those kind of deals get hard. Appraisal of real estate is an interesting topic. And of course, uh, uh, it varies so much from county to county uh, and area to area. Uh, is there any movement up front to make that more unified? I, that's a county function. Uh, I don't know if there is a movement to make that any more unified. I, I know that the vast majority, I mean, we have very few cities that still are in the assessment, that still do assessments um, or appraisal of property for tax, property tax purposes. So. I think we've done pretty much everything we're going to do in that area. Um, in terms of assessing car values, that's now done at the state level. So that's no longer a local a local decision. Uh, so I, I think we've 
I think we've really gotten most of the juice on, on that. I think we've squeezed that one pretty good. And uh, it's an amazing thing. In North Carolina, we really have one of the most efficiently run tax systems. And I know people don't like to talk taxes, but the actual administration of taxes at the county and municipal level is done very, very efficiently. Uh, and we should all be very proud of, of what that means for all of us that drives our costs down and increases collections. So. Um, for those of you who are new to the state and not familiar with that, that is a very, you've moved to a state with a very, very positive and good, good structure. Our guest is Paul Meyer. He's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities that represents some 550 cities and towns and villages across North Carolina. We'll be back to talk about more of the problems facing these 540 or so cities when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, Dad. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Paul Meyer, who's the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And as we discussed earlier, uh, this uh, organization represents the 540 cities, towns, and villages that are in incorporated under the state of North Carolina's law. And uh, uh, Paul, you've been in this job now since uh, two, what, 2009? You, you joined actually as legal counsel in 2009. How long have you actually been running the organization? I've been the director since 2014. So uh, uh, it's amazing how quickly time flies. And uh, um, I remember the first time I was on this program uh, right after that happened. And uh, it's hard to believe that that was seven years ago. Um, a lot's happened since then. And obviously, you know, here we are coming out of, you know, right in the middle of COVID and sort of dealing with all of this. Um, and obviously, I, we never anticipated that North Carolina cities would get $1.3 billion in federal support uh, to deal with COVID relief. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I never imagined in my career we'd see anything like this. And hopefully our city leaders are taking full advantage and investing in their communities in ways that will, uh, that will have lasting impact. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, in your resume, you also, of course, worked 
for the North, North Carolina Association of County Commissioners for more than 10 years. So you've seen uh, North Carolina both from the municipality point of view and also the county point of view. And there are many issues in which uh, the two of these organizations work hand in glove. And then, of course, there's some areas of conflict where you uh, have to get together and discuss and see what's best for everybody. Because as we said earlier, everybody that's in a city is also in a county. So there's, there is a overlapping responsibilities for sure. Uh, what what, made, what uh, made you get interested after you left Wake Forest and Cabell University at getting into this type of work? Well, it really came through an uh, internship. Uh, I spent a summer down at the General Assembly, and uh, uh, I, I, I definitely got bitten by the bug. I mean, it was, uh, it was clear that the political junkie that was already in me just uh, got fired up sitting there listening to uh, folks really working through public policy decisions, trying to make the best choices for all North Carolinians. And, um, you know, the idea that uh, elected people at the local level, you know, those are the folks that really are impacting your day to day in ways that are significant. State government has an impact, but it's your locally elected county commissioners and city council members that really have the direct impact. When I came to the league, of course, I saw the light because it's the mayors and the city council members that have the greatest impact on on our lives. And uh, they're the they're the folks that are really out there on the front lines getting it done every day. Um, but it, uh, I think it was just a blend of, uh, of, of political curiosity and the desire to see the to see things improve and change. I think that's what did it. And it's been a it's been a heck of a heck of a run. Well, now we mentioned the 540 cities and towns and villages, but there's quite a lot of difference in those towns. There's a lot of difference between, uh, you, you said uh, Canada a few moments ago. Most people who are not in North Carolina would say that's Kanto, but, but it's Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like Kanto, so I mean, why not? Yes. But, uh, uh, but there's a lot of difference between the smaller towns and cities like uh, Raleigh and Charlotte and Greensboro and so forth. How do you balance that all? How, how do you decide? Because I'm sure from time to time, there's some conflict there. It's uh, the diversity of the municipalities is the beauty of what this is. We have 550 cities, uh, 400 of which have under uh, 5,000 population, which leaves 150, obviously with more than 5,000 population. And uh, the, the types of things that cities do varies based on typically the population of the municipality. And so uh, we have six cities that have over 200,000 population. They're in the, the services that they provide are vastly different than, than the balance of our membership. And um, I guess the great news is the mayors and council members that I work for 99.5% of the time agree on what should happen and what's best for their local areas. Um, but one, and, and when they don't agree, you know, it's not that fun and we have to work through that. Um, but these people are so, they're so publicly minded uh, that, that more often than not, they can sit there and look at the situation and make the decision that makes the best sense for everybody. And, um, uh, it's important to know that the league itself is a non-partisan non organization. Um, most of the municipal officials are elected non-partisan in our state. 
We have a handful of communities that do have a partisan election, but the vast majority do not. And so when they're making decisions, it's not driven by national politics uh, or any other type of um, outside influence. It really is how do we create and maximize the vision for our community that we want. And it, it is in fact in that diversity that we see the maximum economic possibility across the state. You don't want Asheville to be the same as Cary. You don't want Cary to be the same as Canada. You don't want Canada to be the same as Charlotte. And so, um, because everybody wants to live in a place that they feel comfortable and that, that they can connect with. And that's that's the beauty of the league. It's it's uh, everybody's different, but everybody's kind of pushing for the same thing, which was which is economic competitiveness in the global economy. How about giving us a quick civic lesson, uh, sort of a review? A lot of folks already know these things, but why not uh, sort of put it in perspective? Where do the cities get their money and where does the county get their money? So the, uh, the municipalities are funded in two different ways or actually in multiple ways, but uh, the vast majority of the municipal dollars come from property tax. The property tax is actually the only tax is the only revenue source that the municipal governments can control at this point. They set, they set the tax rate within their municipality. The second sort of bucket for, um, for municipalities is, is, is the sales tax. It's the local share of the sales tax. And this is an area where we're in conflict with county government because even though 80% of the retail sales in North Carolina emanate from within city boundaries, the cities themselves only get 32% of the sales tax dollars. The county governments, quite honestly, uh, uh, they just, the, the way it's allocated, they just get it in, in, in a disproportionate share of that money because those retail sales and a lot of that economic activity rides on the investment of the city government itself in the local community. The counties just benefit uh, out of what I'll call just legacy structures in our state. And that's something that needs to change because uh, city taxpayers are struggling with uh, because of annexation laws that were restricted. Uh, and they also struggle because county governments get a disproportionate share of the resources out there. And so if you want your municipality to be financially strong, uh, you'd want that tax structure to change. Now, a lot of folks who have moved to North Carolina may not be aware of the fact that uh, uh, if you go back maybe 40 or 50 years ago, you basically had in most areas, two school systems. You had a city school system and a county school system. There's been a great deal of consolidation there. Are there still cities that have a school uh, system? Uh, so this is kind of a misnomer. There are there are city school systems, but they're not actually run by the city. So there are, I believe, and I'm getting a little bit beyond my pay grade here, but I think there are 115 school systems. So there are, I believe, are 15 or so city-based school systems but those school systems, again, are not run by the city. It's just a system that exists that is sort of with, within the municipal boundary, but, the, but it's run by a board of education, not, uh, not, not by the city government itself. And you're correct. There's been tons of consolidation into county level school systems across most of our state. Uh, a lot of that happened in the 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and again, just leaving us with a small number of 
city uh, city centric school systems. Here's a question I've been wanting to ask for a long time and always fail to remember it when you're on. But we've got a number of cities in North Carolina that actually fall in two different counties. Uh, that's got to be uh, uh, <laughs> that's got to be a mess. How do they work that out? So yeah, we do have cities that uh, I think Rocky Mount is one, right? Whose boundaries, yeah, uh, uh, lie in uh, in multiple counties, and that's as a result of annexation. So let's just use the town of Cary for example. Uh, they, I, be I believe, Cary is in multiple counties, and that is because they grew over time and through both voluntary and involuntary annexation, their their boundaries extended outside of Wade County. I think they're in Chatham County. Uh, or maybe Durham County in certain portions. And um, this complicates some of those tax distribution issues that we were talking about earlier. Uh, in and of itself, though, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a problem. It's just uh, it, it definitely impacts the taxing structure. And it certainly affects um, when we have elections for say county countywide bonds or some countywide authorization, voters in those cities are affected differently. So it, it creates some of those some confusion in that area. We touched on this earlier, and that is the population drain in some smaller communities. This is getting to be more and more of a serious problem, especially uh, as communities grow smaller and smaller, their tax base grows smaller, have less money, and yet they have the same needs. Uh, the same budget requirements that they once had. Um, what's going to be the ultimate solution there? Where where does that uh, where is the happy ending there? <laughs> that is a great and really uh, I don't know if there's a happy ending, but there is an ending. And uh, this is a really tough question. Uh, we have of our 550 cities, uh, we have probably 100 cities that are sitting on a a watch list on the uh, state treasurer's office. These are financially challenged communities. These are communities that struggle to maintain their fiscal integrity uh, and to comply with a lot of the basic financing laws. And it's because they've, they've gone from reasonably large municipalities to relatively small in short periods of time, be it loss of jobs, outsourced manufacturing throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, these communities are struggling and um, and yet still have, in many cases, a water or a wastewater system that was built for an industry that is no longer there. And so what do you do? Back to the viable utility fund. We need a way to be able to take those utilities and push them somewhere else, whether it be county government or neighboring municipality. Um, but this is a real challenge and what do you do uh, when a community kind of reaches the end of its natural life. Um, there's a bill at the state legislature right now that would create what's called an, an historic charter. In other words, rather than the charter of the town be just taken away, it transitions it to a, uh, I would call it more of a mothballed status. So you may still have a city council in place that controls a small number of things, but for the most part, that town, um, many of its powers are transitioned elsewhere, whether it be state government or county government. And this topic is being talked about more and more and more. And I think it's just simply the natural outflow 
of our economy that's been transitioning for 60, 70 years in our state. Um, we have a lot of, again, a number of places that were at one time bustling communities uh, that are now struggling to figure out what their economic futures are. And uh, at the league, we're doing the best we can to support those communities uh, because we believe everybody has uh, a future. Every, every incorporated town has a future. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. And, um, but you're, you're on a very important topic. Our guest is Paul Meyer, the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. And when we come back, we're going to talk about legislation that uh, may be being considered by the General Assembly as they're in session right now and uh, the legislation that uh, Paul and his organization would like to see passed. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with the Executive Director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. That would be Paul Meyer, and he is uh, head of the organization that represents North Carolina's 550 cities, towns, and villages, both advocating in, before the General Assembly and also in working with them on programs that help them run their cities, towns, and villages more effectively. Uh, Paul, uh, we you know, the General Assembly is in session. I'm sure there's legislation that they're considering right now that uh, affects the towns and cities across our state. What are some of the issues that uh, are being considered that uh, would affect the cities, and what is your organization doing to uh, promote their best interest in that regard? Appreciate that question. Yeah, it, it, they're in session, and uh, here we are in August. Uh, Mid-August, this is the time period where the budget is usually uh, in full swing, and uh, that's exactly what's happening. Uh, the House, I think, is wrapping up their budget today. Um, and uh, something is happening this year that is highly, highly concerning for our cities and towns. Uh, the budget bill or the budget plan that's been rolled out is 660 pages long, okay? And uh, the budgets are frequently long, but this is, we're at a new, we're setting a new record for the length of this budget. Uh, 
so many dimensions, so many parts of this budget uh, are literally special provisions that they have not been able to pass during the session in straight up legislative form. And so they've been smashed into the budget to essentially force a bunch of stuff down people's throats that otherwise would not normally be able to pass. I think it's important for your listeners to understand that this is a really bad situation, not just for cities and towns, but it's not, it's really not good for anybody because um, there are pieces in this budget that have not been debated. There's been no open debate at all. Um, the process has essentially been short-circuited behind closed doors and people's lives who would be affected by these provisions have really had no opportunity to address their legislators in an open fashion or an open form. Um, again, this has happened throughout time. This is not anything new. This is just a, this is just way, way more than normally occurs. And a lot of these issues in this budget affect uh, our membership. A couple examples of things that just, again, fundamentally haven't passed because they've been stopped. Uh, there's provisions in there that would allow billboards to be relocated uh, while eliminating all the local rules regarding those relocations. Uh, there are provisions in there that eliminate local stormwater rules that are designed to prevent flooding and erosion. Um, uh, even after you know, we've mitigated these things, we're now changing the rules so that it can go back and happen again. Uh, uh, limitations on fees for the placement of small cell wireless equipment on locally owned tele on locally owned poles are being set, which essentially forces taxpayers to subsidize the large telecom companies who want to stick these on top of the poles. Um, there are provisions in the budget that would eliminate local tree ordinances statewide. Uh, there are rules in there that would eliminate the ability of local governments to regulate short-term rentals like Airbnb in local communities. I mean, these are things that, you know, these are, these are regulations and restrictions and authorities that cities have to maintain the quality of life for the people that live in these communities. And quite frankly, uh, those rules get in the way of the business plans and business models of various companies. And so these things get loaded up in a state budget that uh, the governor will ultimately be asked to, to sign or veto. Uh, the state Senate will be looking at these provisions um, as, it, as the bill comes back to the Senate uh, after the House has worked on it. But, you know, again, it's really hard to set your local vision or what you want your town to be when it gets upended by a 660 page uh, state budget that's loaded up with provisions that otherwise couldn't pass in the daylight. And uh, again, your listeners just need to know that this stuff's happening in very significant ways um, uh, this year. And, uh, you know, this is a tough one for us because within this same budget bill are a number of things that would really help the cities. There's, there, are, there are financial investments in the budget that would benefit many local communities. There's, I think, 500 million in the budget for the for the um, viable utility reserve that I mentioned earlier that would enable more consolidation of water and wastewater systems. So there's, you know, 
there's a lot of good in that budget. And then here we are in the 11th hour loading it up with all kinds of things that thus far haven't been able to pass. And um, it's just something for your listeners to know. And, uh, and I'll be quiet here, but it's, it's a, uh, this has become very, very frustrating for, uh, for our organization. Uh, and for the city and the uh, the, the 3,500 elected officials for whom I work. Uh, you mentioned the 600-plus page budget. What would a normal budget look like as far as number of pages? That's a great question. I think we're more like 250. This thing is way larger than normal, and it's just because these special provisions have been added in, and it's all happened here in the last week and a half. Um, it's, just, it's just unusual. Um, now, is this both the House and the Senate version or just the House version? So you have the Senate version uh, that's gone over to the House side. The House is loaded up. These provisions, I think, mostly came in the House. It'll go back to the Senate. The Senate will not accept the House version, and then it'll go into, uh, they'll go into a, um, a committee process where they try to iron out the differences between the House and Senate versions. Ultimately, They'll generate a bill that will go to, there'll be a conference report and that will be approved. And then the governor will have to decide whether he will sign the budget or whether he will veto the budget. We have not had a state budget to pass in the last four years. We have been operating state government off of continuing resolutions and left in little small budgetary pieces. We haven't had a budget to pass. It's been vetoed. Um, just based on partisan differences and a difference of opinion on a variety of different things. I think the last budget we had was 2018. So um, it's hard to run a, a consistent state government when you don't have a budget. So, uh, uh, so I don't know what this, I don't know what's going to happen. I just wanted you and your listeners to know what's happening this year. Now, one thing that the general assembly, uh, might have been concerned about about a year ago we would all thought that we were going to be looking for ways to save money because we all thought that COVID-19 was going to have a detrimental effect on the revenues and say that just hasn't happened so one of the things that uh, both the house and the senate are looking at is plenty of money i mean uh deciding how to spend it is uh, another issue but the, the the availability of funds it's there it is, and it's really, you know, it's important that that COVID relief money get out and get spent and get used. It, it is, it is, uh, it's, it's a, it's just hugely important to local communities. Uh, it's important for the city governments and the county governments that this, that this flow occurs. Uh, so, you know, it, anything that sort of disrupts that is, um, that's troubling. So. Uh, and again, it's it's we have a budget that's got lots in it, and then we've got it been loaded up with a bunch of other things, and it really it makes it hard on the uh, on the top leaders to figure out what what to do. And then we talked in the first segment of the program, and a number of people have joined us since that time about the infrastructure bill on the federal level, which is going to benefit uh, North Carolina in many ways, and of course, a lot of that will trickle down to the counties and the cities through various and sundry ways, that also comes into play here. Yeah, once that passes, that's a, that's a whole other layer of consideration. Um, I think that uh, 
It's also important, I think, for your listeners to understand that this COVID relief money, this American Rescue Plan dollars that have, that have been uh, appropriated directly to cities and counties, there's a time limit on how this on on there's a time limit on the expenditure. So it's not something you can we can lay around on and and do nothing for four years. That's not how this will work. Um, that money will go back to U.S. Treasury if it's not spent and uh, and so I think it's incumbent on local leaders to figure out the path that makes the best sense. It's incumbent on state leaders to develop a path that makes sense. Again, this is historic. This is, these are historic dollars. Uh, we're not gonna, I'd be stunned if we saw anything like this at any time in the rest of my career, certainly. And, uh, and it's just, uh, it, we just need to have a consolidated strategy. It's just, and it's hard to well, do this. It needs to happen. What's holding that up? What's holding that up, the expenditure of those funds? Well, some of it has to do with the federal government being unclear about what the rules are. That's the first. <laughs> that's, that's a challenge. Uh, the state budget not passing is another uh, problem in terms of getting the, the money out the door. Um, so, and then there's local, uh, we, we have local governments that are indecisive about how to you know, what to do and how to do this. So it's, a, I think, a blend of many, many things. Uh, but my hope is we don't need to, we don't need any self-inflicted wounds in this area. This just needs to be one of these where the local communities just need to be, the door needs to be open for them to do what they need to do. The state government needs to figure out a path and how they're going to spend their funds efficiently and effectively. And um, uh, if we sit here and debate 660 pages of extra stuff, uh, and that just gets really, it just gets more challenging for people to get on the same page. Well, you've got lots of things on your plate that along with the resurgence of the COVID-19 uh, situation that uh, has reared its ugly head again. So uh, as you go to work tomorrow, uh, and by the way, we're taping this program on Thursday afternoon this week. Um, what's, uh, what's at the absolute top of your agenda? I think the absolute top of my agenda is uh, just keeping our local mayors and city council members focused and optimistic and positive. We have seen record numbers of locally elected officials resigning nationwide uh, in the last year, year and a half. Uh, a lot of them retired and are just given up and said, we're going to let other people do this. But the problem is, uh, as, as, as a slew of people go out the door, there's not a slew of people wanting to come in and, and do the work. And so uh, our job is to keep those people as excited about it and as well prepared as possible uh, so they can make the best decisions. Uh, I don't want people to cave in to the emotional challenge that this is, but I also understand what they're going through. So uh, thank you for that question. Well, thank you, Paul, for sharing with us uh, these very interesting facts. Uh, Paul Meyer, the executive director of the North Carolina League of Municipalities. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest next week on the same group of stations. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.